Welcome, Legionaries, to episode 16 of Legion Cast Hobby Roundtable 6. Today we're going to be talking some hobby news, we're going to be talking basing for a Fulgrim's Quest, and we're going to do a little GW intern hour where we talk about uh, the big hobby week down in Dallas that uh, Brandon and I had. Joining me as usual is our co-host Brandon and usual co-host Paul. No maniple this week, he is unavailable, so we'll just have to do without him. Hello, my Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me, people who have absolutely trounced Warwick on the tabletop. Welcome to Legion Cast. It's great to be here. Uh, Paul, always a pleasure to have you back. Again, unfortunately, no Manipul this week. He's been lost to the warp, uh, but uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It'll be fun talking about all the games. Yeah, we played a ton of games this past week while uh, while Warwick was down here visiting. We played some Titanicus. We played some Heresy. We had planned to play some more stuff. I, we're going to try and get some Battletech in there, but we just ended up not having the time. You know, we filled entire week, really, with, uh, with just hobby stuff around all things Age of Darkness. Um, we got uh, got some fun games with uh, our friend Martin Emery from Fire, the Fires of Betrayal podcast. That was a good time. And yeah, it was just overall a really successful hobby week and a lot of fun. Yeah, I had an absolute blast. I really enjoyed being down in Dallas again. I go a couple times a year now, it seems like, and I always have a great time doing it. Just I played, we must have played two or three games a day of different stuff. And as Brandon so tactfully put, I got my ass handed to me nine times out of ten, literally, because the entire time I was down there, I won one game between... Heresy and Titanicus. That was it. I, it. It was it was a pretty poor showing on on behalf of me. Can't can't really blame the Ultramarines. They did really well. Um, me running the army, not so much. I learned a lot about my Rite of War, the Logus Locatora. I learned a lot about my uh, heroes, Gilliman and Remus Ventarnus, and just a lot about. Our list building in general, uh, our friend Martin Emery was an amazing game. My last game down there, I played against Martin, and he schooled me pretty good with his word bearers. And it was neck and neck right up until it wasn't. So we'll get into that plenty more during the GW intern hour. But for now, why don't we start off some hobby news? Brandon, you want to take it away? Let's, uh, before we jump into the news here, let's uh, just do a quick around the horn here of what, what's on your hobby table. We had a lot of gaming last week, so uh, I think we've all gone to the draw drawing board a bit, but uh, I'd like to hear what, uh, what's everybody working on, or at least planning to work on. Yeah, I'm uh, Dreadnoughts. Dreadnoughts seem to be the big thing for me. Yeah, Sons of Horus really favor a lot of infantry, um, and there's not a lot of slots for tanks, so... In order to compensate for the lack of anything big armor, I'm having to supplement with Contemptors. Um, I'm almost running like a one-to-one infantry to Dreadnought chassis of some kind, so I gotta get a lot of those built and on the table. Awesome. Yeah, it seems like, uh, especially in your game with Warwick, yeah, you ran them to great effect, uh, from what I've been told. And yeah, Dreadnoughts are they're, they're in an interesting place right now. They are killable, but they are very strong and you really gotta you gotta be prepared to to deal with them um, i recently back in december attended an event and one of the the rules that i took away from there that i think i'm gonna make a house rule um eventually is one dreadnought per thousand points 
Um, I thought that that really balanced out the game quite a bit, but uh, no, Dreadnoughts are great. Uh, I've actually got two Dreadnoughts right now that I'm lining up to get started painting uh, two Contemptors. Uh, Warwick, what about you? What's on your hobby table? Well, I've got two Leviathan Dreadnoughts that I would like to paint. And then as far as going back to the drawing board, I have been list building damn near nonstop. Like any free time I have when I'm not asleep, I have been list building again. And I want to, I've, one list that I have is five 20-man units of Breachers that I want to run. So that is down the line. But immediately I need to flesh out some 10-man uh, tactical squads. I need to make them 20-man tactical squads because I, I was very much in that kind of 5th edition mindset where... 5th edition 40k mindset where you would take your minimum troop choices, so your two compulsory troops, so that you had a ton of points to spend on other cool stuff in your other deployment slots. Come to find out, like, in all the games that I played, I wasn't able to cap objectives because I only had two uh, two tactical squads, two or three tactical squads, or an assault squad, because with the Logos, you have to run three compulsory troops. Anyway, just trying to flesh out and get those uh, big big infantry blocks is uh, really beneficial to the Logos. And then it, it also plays really well with uh, the, uni uh, the unique advanced reaction from the Ultramarines, the unity of purpose. So getting a big block of infantry, or I guess, yeah, I think any unit can can uh, complement that. But if one of your big tactical squads get hit, gets hit and you trigger a unity of purpose with that, you can have your Kratos or your Leviathan Dreadnought return fire. The important thing being that that primary squad that was targeted, which happened to me a lot, gets to return, you know, between 20 and 40 bolter shots. So yeah, that's, that's something that I've really been thinking about. So I've got, I'm going to go pick up some more tactical guys tomorrow and just get to work on them again. So just back to painting infantry for me. Awesome. Yeah. And as I said, uh, I am working on dreadnoughts. I had two, two contemptors that I did pretty well and I want to go ahead and get them painted. I'm actually thinking about changing the loadout on one of them and I'll get to why in the GW intern hour, but they're all magnetized. So I'll be going through painting all of those, all those weapons anyway. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what's going on in my hobby world. It's just uh, just come to my attention that uh, our astropathic choir has intercepted a message uh, from the good ship Chili Dog. So they have hailed us once again. Hello, good ship Chili Dog. We hope you're doing well. Take a look at their message here. It says, Hail, Legion cast. The crew of the Imperial battleship Chili Dog once more seeks your counsel in a matter of grave consequence. Our travels have brought us to a new system and our scouts believe that one of the planets could be the resting place of a long-lost artifact that was once to you to mark once used to mark and identify members of our legion known as the Wolf Brand. Our plan is to send a team down to retrieve it before the Sons of Rust get here to cannibalize our crew for possessing anything with the word wolf in it without their permission. A truly risky endeavor indeed. There is one issue. The planet is inhabited by literal vampire potbelly goblins. Those guys get you every time. And our new Primarch does not want the spirits of his favored sons getting close to that evil. I've heard it makes your spirit scream. So we can't send any Astartes. We need to put together the greatest team of non-Astartes warriors to help retrieve our artifact from the surface. We beseech the wisdom of Legion Cast to suggest the three best non-Astartes in the canon so that we may assemble them to our aid. We humbly await your counsel 
the emperor protects the good ship chili dog well good ship chili dog it seems like you're in quite the conundrum there thankfully part of our panel is here to help i i'm thinking about this and i think the first guy i would probably send is john grammaticus it never hurts to have a perpetual hanging around particularly when you're dealing with literal vampire pot belly goblins what do you guys think yeah well john grammaticus is kind of the mary sue of the 30k storyline so you send him you're pretty much guaranteed success yeah i think grammaticus is a really solid pick starting off the bat kind of a jack of all trades he can he can put a team together he's done it before let's see who else um we probably want some kind of like tech related individuals so Maybe uh, a tech priest like Regulus or, uh, I don't know, Coriel Zeth. She's also a bit of a Mary Sue. So that I think that'd be a great pick. I can I can dig either of those choices. Lucas Crom, the, fabri- the new Fabricator General, would be a good pick if we're going tech guys. Are we pulling full 40k setting or are we just going 30k? 30k here. Oh, Come on, we're, we're a 30k podcast, Paul. Come on. <laughs> well, we can do either. I was going to say Belisarius Call fits into both. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I I often forget that he was around. Yeah, you know, him and John Chromaticus create a hot batch Primaris Marines 10,000 years early and go purge this planet. <laughs> well, let's just shitpost here and let's say, so let's go, uh, I, I think I got a hot pick for the third one. Uh, we'll go, we'll go John Chromaticus, Lucas Crom. everybody good with Lucas Crom? He's the new fabricator general. Uh, Zeth is dead. She sucks. Anyway, let's go Gilliman's mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. She is the ultimate trump card there because, like, Gilliman will never let her die. So, yeah, we only picked, like, three regular, well, three non-Astartes, but Gilliman's a package deal. So, great choice. Yeah, I can dig. She's pretty based. I like Gilliman's mom. Like, <laughs> I don't even remember her name, but... I'm, I'm up. Yeah, I, I don't remember her name, but I, I think she uh, shit talks the Night Haunter to his face a little bit. So that's kind of funny. Oh, she definitely does. She's awesome. All right. Well, there we go. We have we have our team. We have our team assembled. You got a perpetual. You've got a Mechanicum adept and you've got a Primarch's mom. I, th- I think you can handle it with that crew. Best of luck. Good. Ch- good ship. Chili dog. You'll get it figured out. Good luck, Emperor Speed. All right. Well, let's talk hobby news here. I don't want to hammer on the the spoilers kit much more, but we talked about it last episode, and there's one person on this panel who wasn't on that episode. So, Paul, give us your five-minute take on the the spoilers kit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't what I was expecting, and as somebody who is been waiting for, you know, the spoilers and assault marines, it is pretty disappointing actually you know something i haven't actually looked at the price for it yet is it already up for order no it's not up for order but knowing gw it's forge world resin so it's probably like 40 bucks yeah 30 40 bucks and that's you know when you're looking to run 20 man squads of the spoilers and you're adding you know an extra 120 dollars so you're running 200 bucks per max despoiler squad. I mean, that's pretty steep, even if they look nice. I mean, you know, I think I, I was it Fires of Betrayal might have talked about it a little bit more in depth. But something that they mentioned that really stuck with me was like, if they had done this with the initial release for Age of Darkness, it would have been like, cool, just something to get you by until we get the real kit out. But like doing it now, it just feels 
kind of like a punch in the gut, like, um, yeah, I don't know what we're giving you here. Yeah, doing it now, like we've had the insult and now here's the injury. But I don't want to belabor this point too much. Um, we talked ad nauseum about it last episode. Everybody's talking about it. Let's talk about the the newest uh, teaser this week. Are you guys ready for it? Are you excited? It's another tank. Yay! Like, I used to be a super big fan of the Vindicator back in 40k, back when we were playing 5th edition, because it was it's it just owned the battlefield. But I saw this one, and I was like, well, no surprise there. It's, it's more armor, or it's another vehicle. But now I'm just meh i'm over it we we really need that infantry support and they're taking their sweet time getting to it yeah so i actually played against two vindicators last saturday and i don't want to get too in depth in that but safe to say in the current landscape of how things are in heresy armor 13 in the front is not enough so i really like the vindicator i think it's a cool tank i actually kind of like the 40k one a bit better if i'm being honest because it's got that big old dozer blade on it like uh, warwick i really like yours and how you have all those tally marks on it every time i look at that thing i get ptsd because a lot of those tally marks were at my expense so but the vindicator is a cool tank you know i'm not going to belabor that it's another tank that we're getting that there's just i don't see the point in that but that's uh yeah i, I like that it's got weapons options um that big uh what is it called the Neutron laser beam. I mean, that's it. Looks cool. I'll be I'll be excited to, you know, I probably I'll probably pick one up. Maybe. What about you guys? Going back to what you said about I, I'm on the fence because I think I'd rather spend money on the Demos Pattern Predators playing against yours last week, Brandon. It's it's a really neat piece of hardware, and like you said, armor thirteen in the front is not enough, and heresy and i think that's because you know back in fifth edition 40k you weren't very likely to see somebody running a 10-man las cannon squad when in heresy it's really easy to do so i that's just my thoughts i don't know how you guys feel about that also like i in heresy it's really easy to take you know two or three land raiders with your uh elite choices um dedicated transport so i i don't know it's just uh, really really weird to me that it doesn't it doesn't stack up in the same way that the 40k one does when they're very similar. Paul, you got anything to add? Yeah, it's just um, a difference of game. You know, it was like when we were talking about Heresy 2.0 when it first came out, I was like, well, if it's going to be like the old Hammer, it's going to be Land Raiders, Laz Cannons, and Terminators. And just about anything else is going to get washed out in that sort of developing meta. And so the Vindicator is a cool model. Um, has a cool place, but as long as we're playing that heavy armor, high strength sort of meta, it's not going to be able to fit in, even with the type of cannon it has. It's a little too short-ranged for what it brings to the table. Well, let me lay this on you guys and see if this changes your perspective at all. A Legion Vindicator Squadron starts at 120 points. I mean, that is just dirt cheap, and... If you look at the uh, the Magna Laser Destroyer, which I believe is what that is on the on the new one, that option, that's only another twenty points. One hundred and forty points for a tank like that. You know that might make it make its way into my list. What's the weapon profile on that big laser? Yeah, uh, give me a few minutes and I'll look it up. Yeah, if I was running against another infantry heavy list, you know what it that 
might have been a really good tank to have against Martin be, uh, on Saturday because he ran a big block of infantry on one of my flanks. And if I had had a big, you know, a big anti-infantry cannon on that side of the battlefield, it might have gone differently because he freaking chewed through, well, it would have been 40 tactical Marines. He ran, uh, the first squad ran off the board edge because they failed their command check because word bears ding you on your leadership. And then the second one got charged and just annihilated to a man. So maybe having a tank on that flank to support them would have been a lot better because I don't know that the, uh, the spoilers could have handled it the same way. Yeah, I think it has its place. Um, and in casual play, I mean, take whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But yeah, in terms of like a developing competitive meta, I don't really see a place for it. All right, let me lay this on you here. So the Demolisher Cannon is a range of 24, Strength 12, AP 3, Ordnance 1, Small Blast, Sunder, Rending, six up uh and brutal three that's kind of a you know you lay that on that it's only a small blast but you lay that on a squad of terminators and they're gonna have a bad day you lay that on a squad of terminators and they're gonna make their armor safe yeah yeah you're probably right and then i've got the the magna laser destroyer that is a range 36 strength 9 ap1 ordnance 3 twin linked exoshock six up I don't know what Exoshock does, and I'm not looking it up right now. So Exoshock, I'm a little familiar with that one because the Sakaran has it. Exoshock is for every uh, pen penetrating armor roll that you get, you can I think you can roll another one or like another D3 or something. I'd have to double check it, but it's a really interesting roll. Yeah, that profile is a bit more interesting. How many shots was it? Three. Heavy three? Yeah. Ordnance. Ordnance three. Oh, and it's twin linked. That might be a good answer to Spartans, maybe if you, if you can get into their side armor for for a hundred and forty points. You said that one was yeah. Interesting. What kind of war gear can they take? Uh, the standard pintle weapons, searchlight, dozer blade, hunter killer missile. The kind of just the usual tank stuff. Nothing. Nothing crazy. Interesting. I don't know. Now that I, I know those two profiles, I'm a little more interested, but more more vehicles is, like I said, down the line for me because I've got this big infantry, a couple big infantry armies that I want to build. Yeah, it's the small blast on the Demolisher Cannon that kind of gets me a little less excited. If that was a large blast, you better believe that I would be like, hello, 20-man tactical squads. I would like to introduce you to my giant gun. Yeah, well, it's the small blast and the AP3. Because, I mean, the 40k ones, you know, strength 10 AP1 large blast, It that makes a huge difference. Yeah, and as we said, again, you know, front armor 13, unfortunately, that is just not enough. Um, not these days. The, the Typhon, in other news, I guess, the Typhon is up for pre-order now. It's 115 bucks. Uh, I think that's a pretty good price. Uh, especially after the price hike, uh, it's same as the Spartan. The Typhon is just a heavy, right? It's not the the Lord of War. That's the other one. Yeah, that's the other one. Um, that this is just the Spartan chassis with a giant cannon on the front. On the front. But let's talk the kind of more interesting thing here that I'm a bit excited about. Let's talk Titans. We saw today they just put out an article about adding conversion beam weapons to the game for Titanicus. So. It looks like we've got a Warlord Arm, a Reaver Carapace, 
and a Warhound arm. Now, this is interesting. Paul, particularly, I think this might be interesting for you because the conversion beam weapons are stronger the farther away you are. So, you know, when you're playing your defensor, you're kind of already standing on the back edge there trying to put the nasty down anyway. So I I definitely think there's some gas here. Yeah, definitely. I I saw that on there and I was definitely interested. It's going to come down to seeing um, what the point cost for him is going to look like. And the model for it too. I mean, it's going to be forgeable resin, but it looks great. I really like the look of it. Yeah. yeah, I think they all look really cool. I'm I'm a little surprised that there's not a bit for the Warbringer, the the, the big siege titan. Yeah, um, which I'm I'm kind of on the fence on them right now because while I was in Dallas, I built a whole Reptura maniple for my Trader Legio, and they did horribly the entire time I was there. So uh, I'm gonna. I don't know. I'll give it a couple more tries, but I, I need to learn. I need to learn how to run Trader Titans. Anyway, uh, I think the um, the choice for a Warhound is interesting because generally they're up close. Maybe that's just the experience I've had because Brandon runs them so aggressively. But that'll be interesting. I really like the the look of the the one for the Reaver. I run generally run a Corsair battle line for my Loyalists, my Legio Osidax, and they're. They're really interesting, but uh, yeah, I'd like to see what these profiles look like. Yeah, I definitely think these things have play for a shooty reaver, but particularly for a warlord. I I just don't think I really don't think that uh, the the warhound. I don't think that this is going to break up God's combo, which is plasma got plasma blast gun Vul- Vulcan mega bolter. Uh, I mean, that's just it's so good. I this thing would have to be pretty dang strong on a warhound for it to move the needle for me, particularly on that. But I also play a very in-your-face style of game, so there, I'm sure there's play for it. Um, Titanicus is a nice rule set in that basically everything has a place. But uh, no, we'll be excited to, to see when those uh, those hit the, hit the web store and uh, potentially give them an order depending on their rules. Uh, is there any more news we need to talk about? Anything that we've missed here? What about the tiny Terminators piloting giant Tyranids for 40k? Uh, this is a 30k podcast, so I don't give a crap oh, about that. Right. I just wanted to get that joke in there. <laughs> yeah, it is a good joke. I didn't even hear anything about that. Yeah, there was a, uh, a about two second video of a Tyranid eye, and you can see a Terminator reflected in it. And so Warwick made the joke of it's actually a tiny Terminator piloting a giant Tyranid. And I told him it was funny, which was a mistake because that's completely gone to his head. And now he won't stop making the joke. You give this guy an inch, he takes a mile, let me tell you. But yeah, there have been two kind of rumors about that is that it's either a teaser for 10th edition, uh, which is believed to be coming in the summer, or it's a teaser for a reprint of Space Hulk. I'd be much more interested if it's a reprint of Space Hulk. I could care less about 10th edition 40k. I've got my old hammer back. I'm playing Heresy. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I could not give a shit about 40k right now. Yeah. Is, as cool as some of the models they're putting out are, it's not enough to get into that, that game set. Yeah, we've got cool Heresy models instead. <laughs> All right, well, I think 
I think that pretty well wraps it up for the news. Oh, uh, do you guys want to talk about the Legion Esoteris real quick? Uh, that went up for pre-order, or is going up shortly, I believe. Yeah. One of the two. Decent looking model. Um, definitely more trader aligned, obviously. You know, everybody's saying that, but I actually, I looked at uh, the Esoteris for Loyalist, and he's pretty good at shutting down, like, corrupted units. I think if you were playing against Word Bearers or Sons of Horus with Horus Ascended, uh, which you'll never play, uh, <laughs> he's got a place. But it, it it's very... It, it, I don't think it's something, unless you knew you were going up against something like that, or Demons of the Ruin Storm. If you're not sure that you're going up against those things, I don't think, I think he stays held. But I like the model. Uh, cool looking model. I love the Italian fingers on it. That's uh, that's quite enjoyable for me. Um, also, Exodus is up for pre-order. That guy's an asshole. I'll never, I'll never, never <laughs> leave that hill. I hate that guy. And then uh, just looks like Alpha Legion heads and Raven Guard heads. Oh, and the, yeah. the bear heads. Yeah, heads and torsos. I'll never be buying the bear heads. All my guys have helmets. Did the new Dreadnought torsos go up yet? No, they go up next week. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll have to look into that Esoterist or whatever. Uh, that, that being able to set that, shut down corrupted units is pretty interesting right now. Yeah, not really interested in the bear heads. I don't like painting faces, so why bother? Having him come out does imply that we're going to get something for demons, because we're going to need rules and profiles for demons if we're going to be able to summon them. I, I mean, I would really like demons to come out. I've got Kabanda sitting in the closet right now. I would love for an excuse to paint him. I mean, I know that my, my Sigmar Corn boys just got a uh, just got an update, but... I'd prefer to to run some Demons of the Ruin Storm. But uh, I think, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap up new section here, I think. And then let's jump into Fulgrim's Quest. You guys ready to talk about bases? I want to talk about bases. I've had some struggles with basing over the past couple of months anyway. I've put my basing, uh, making the, the polymer marble bases for my ultramarines, I put that on hold because... When I cure them, they shrink up and they're not the right size anymore. So I either need to find a different way to cure them or I need to use a bigger uh, cutout when I cut them. But something that I've had a lot better luck with is the like the, the texture paints. And you don't even need the Citadel ones that are really expensive. Uh, what is it? What brand is a brand army painter that uh, you can get like a big like a gallon bucket of it pretty much? There's a few like that. I know AK Interactive has a big tub. I have a couple big tubs of Vallejo. Um, I particularly use that on my Dark Angels, actually. I like texture paces. Um, let's walk through, let's do a, uh, you know, just kind of a down and dirty. First off, I'd like to talk about basing in general before we get into our specific bases. Basing is something that I, I didn't do for a long time in the hobby, and now I'm really passionate about it because it just, it as I've, I've stepped into this hobby more from an artistic perspective, that basing is really that final touch that makes your model real to me. I, I don't consider a model done anymore until I put a base on it and i i'm excited to talk a few different techniques here that i that i've learned throughout my my hobby journey and excited to hear from you guys as well but yeah warwick you were talking about those polymer bases why don't we uh run us through you know like run us through that and then give us 
maybe some other basing projects you've done and then maybe some inspiration that you've had for other things as well that you might want to try in the future. Right. So I really like basing from the artistic perspective because it is another factor that contributes to consistency across the battlefield. So you can tell like uh, all these guys were on the same muster field or they were slogging through the same trenches. It it adds another layer of depth to that army. So what I was trying to do with these polymer bases was uh, it would be like a marble floor. Like uh, all, all my ultramarines have, have lined up on one of the paved boulevards, you know, somewhere on McCrag or Calth or Armatura. And, you know, they're, they're in a parade. They're not on a battlefield, which I think is a very ultramarine thing to do. I know that uh, one of the frustrations with that technique is a lot of the translucent clay that I was getting was must have been pretty old because I had to condition it a lot. I had to work with it a lot. I had to keep running it through a, a press, basically, to make it more malleable. And then it took me two or three trial runs of getting like the color consistency right uh, and also the, the adhesive levels because I made one that was way too sticky and it, it was just this big tacky ball that I couldn't really work with. And then uh, eventually I did get it right. Uh, you, you know, a little goes a long way. You don't need a lot of paint and you don't need a lot of it, the adhesive. But I, I will give it another shot. I know the the first few that I did, I put the like clear. Anyway, I put like a, a, a case on it that was really unnecessary because they're just they're just models. The tutorial i was following was for making earrings and you want these like really thick glossy finishes on them but the more i thought about it i could do 20 or 30 of these at a time once i get really good at it and then just hit them with like a clear coat uh gloss and it would seal them in the same way so i really overdid it on those first few i just need more time and practice to get get to it and i've been so busy just painting the past couple of months that i haven't put any effort into refining this technique but i think there i think there's plenty of plenty of merit to it i i just need to give it another shot uh, i like the the first few that i've done i think they're interesting but yeah and i know this thing hasn't gone great for you your first couple of attempts but i really hope you do keep at it because it's such a unique idea and i can see the execution of it once it goes off for you it's gonna look really good so i hope you stick with it because i would i would love to see your whole army with that that marble finish yeah like i said it'll just take time in the past i've had a lot of luck like with the the texture paints they're super easy i'm not a big flock guy because i feel like it it often just falls off the base uh you know you have to seal the entire thing after that and i'm i'm not good at it so i don't do it uh, I've had much better luck with the texture paints. That's how I did all my Titans. That's how I did uh, a lot of my 40K stuff. But that just works better for me. It's quick and easy also. Paul, Brandon, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the texture paints have kind of, uh, in the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, really come into their own. Sort of supplanted the old style of sand with Elmer's glue and flock on top. I actually don't see a lot of people using flock that much anymore. It still floats around out there, but yeah, it looks like everyone's kind of relying on like weathering powders and the texture paints to kind of get the job done or tufts, a lot of tufts out there now. I think it's an important step. It's also the one step that I tend to skip the most, which is why like half of my armies never get finished because I just don't get around to the basing, but it, it does really pull the model all in together. Um, 
I'm trying to keep it simple for Sons of Horus. I'm just doing sand bases. Uh, and the idea is that I might be able to actually finish it if I just keep it quick and easy. Definitely. Um, I, I get it. I My basing technique that I'm about to go into from my Dark Angels is actually kind of quite convoluted. Um, and it takes a good bit of time to do for, for each unit. And I, I'm definitely getting more of the value of just doing a very easy, straightforward base for your, especially your basic infantry. So I, I will talk a bit about a few different basing projects I have. And one of the things that has really upped my basing game is the ability to 3D print. I, there's a ton of bases online for 3D printing. Um, my my warriors of Minas Tirith, uh, that army I've actually printed out some like flagstone type bases because I wanted to theme them around the siege of Minas Tirith, so they wouldn't be fighting really on grass; they would be on flagstones, like uh, you know, like the roads of the White City. So rather than I looked up a bunch of tutorials of like oh you know cutting up cardstock and putting it in green stuff and doing all this stuff. 3D printing them, so much easier. I just have to paint them. They The bases I found, they even have a slot in the bottom that fits a magnet perfectly um, because I magnetize all of my bases for transport purposes. So really great deal there. On a little bit more of an artistic and uh, more fun note, I'll, I'll talk about my, my Murder Lords, my Legio Interfector for Titanicus because... I'm actually, I don't want to toot my own horn too much here, but I'm quite proud of the ba the bases that I made for those guys. So when you look into the lore of Legio Interfector, they don't appear a lot. They appear really in two places. Molek, um, which I really just didn't know that much about that battle or that planet. That's the main place that they appear, but they also appear on Istvan 3, very briefly. So I decided I'd go for Istvan 3 right after the virus bombing, which... If we remember back to Galaxy and Flames, it's basically a muddy, gross wasteland, functionally. But I didn't want to just add mud texture to my bases and call it good. So I, I went to a little bit of a... Uh, I, I went and looked for some inspiration, and I talked to who I personally refer to as the terrain god himself, Lachlan Linton Keane from Zorpazorp. And if you have not checked out his YouTube channel, that man can do scenery and basing incredibly well. Highly recommend you go check out his YouTube channel. In chatting with him, one of the ideas he brought up to me was, what about like a no man's land on a World War I battlefield? You know, so you've got the busted out, burned out trees, the puddles of muck. And one of the things that it talks about in Istvan, uh, before the firestorm, there's just piles of goo everywhere with this biomass. And that's kind of what I went for. So I, I used some resin water effect, which is the first time I've ever used that, to make some pools on my bases. I also took uh, some one millimeter wire and you know made curled that up and made some constantina wire and sea wire and you know did a little bit of that. Had there was an area, you know, one of my warhounds has got a spool of sea wire, and then there's a blown out breach, and right in that breach is a big puddle. Then I, I took, you know, I've made some trees out of uh, some woodland scenics kits and had one some of those on, you know, a reaver, 
And then what I'm particularly proud of is on my Warlord base, I actually took an Aeronautica Storm Eagle gunship, painted it up as a World Eaters gunship, and crashed it at the feet of my Warlord, which I think looks really cool. In my mind, that's the... Uh, that's the storm eagle that Angron jumped out of to go massacre all of his uh, all of his former brothers and sons. So I had I had a lot of fun with that. And then for my dark angels, I wanted to go with like a woodland themed base. So I got I took some Russian mud from Vallejo, which is one of the ones that comes in the big tub, which was like I think it's like eighteen dollars. Meanwhile, the Citadel pots are not even a quarter of the size, and they're like nine. So if you're doing texture paste or, you know, any kind of texture paint like that, I I can't in good conscience recommend Citadel to you when there's that's the alternative. I mean, for basically half the price, you get quadruple the amount of stuff. Uh, But the other thing that I really I tried in, I I did some flock. I know we're talking about flocks aren't uh, aren't that used anymore. I like flocks, so I sprinkled a bit of that in there as well. And one thing that I went with that I've never tried before is pigment powder. And pigment powder is amazing. And it does so much. You sprinkle some pigment powder on your base, and then you just let it creep up the greaves of your Space Marine, and it really ties them to the base. They, My Space Marines look like they've been slugging through a very wet and muddy forest which is exactly what I was going for. Um, so I'm really happy with them. They're on Instagram. Actually, are they on Instagram? Do we even have an Instagram anymore? We still have one. I never use it. Um, they okay. are up on Twitter, though. Okay, go to the Dumb Bird app and take a look at them. They're, they're something I enjoy. Also, the lion I just painted this past week is up there. Pretty proud of that one as well. Yeah, he turned out really well. It looks really I'll, good. I'll try posting on instagram i'll be pooling pictures to do that because you need to post very frequently for that i know that you secretly enjoy the reels so we can make some reels fine all right um well let's talk uh let's talk a bit of inspiration is there any basing things that like you guys really want to try or maybe like a hobby material that you haven't gotten to work with um that you think would be interesting and fun Warwick, why don't, why don't you talk us through some of your, your inspiration and, you know, new things that you haven't necessarily tried yet, but might might want to give a shot to. So I, I think I've mentioned this guy on the podcast previously, but I saw this a long time ago on Instagram and Twitter. He's on both platforms, I think. This guy, I think his name is Dread Monkey Fist, and he did like... Uh, shallow ocean bases for his Titanicus Titans. And they're like, they're walking across the shallow ocean and they're kind of like basalt uh, rock formations along the way. But he actually, I think he must use like a quarter inch or like a half inch thick material doing these water bases or these ocean bases to make it look like these Titans are trudging through the ocean. And you know, the, the Titans feet are actually like locked into the base. And it's really interesting to me because you can see through it in some places, so it looks like super realistic. So I've kind of had it in my mind that for a while, I, I don't know what army I would do it on, 
but doing like water bases or even like kind of a beach set, like a, a beachhead landing kind of setting would be really interesting. So, you know, some water, some sand. That's something that I've thought about. Um, also like uh, finding a, I know a long time ago for War Machine, I tried to do like tile bases on some guys with cork board, but just cutting out individual tiles and then trimming the edges and weathering it and then painting it to look like marble was a real pain. So I don't know if I'll do that again, but yeah, I think the the beach bases or maybe finding an, another way to do like actual grid tile would be really neat. Yeah, I've seen those uh, those beach bases. You sent me a few pictures of them a while back. They they're so cool. It's there's not the only thing I've seen like that with that water that standing water on the base. The one thing I've always been terrified of with that is not knowing what I'm doing. If you got to do it once the model's fully painted, you got to pour that. I, I think most of it's just resin or water effect, but you got to pour that after the model's painted. And I'm always terrified of that because if I mess it up, I ruined my fully painted model. So it's it's something that uh, always scares me. But uh, Paul, what about you? What are some things that like you maybe haven't gotten to try yet, but are interested in giving a shot to? One that I've seen a lot is using that crackle medium stuff to achieve that kind of broken earth, or a lot of people use it for lava effects. I've never personally really used it. Um, I bought the GW Martian earth one and tried it out on like a, a couple of mechanicus models and i like the the look of it but just never really delved into uh, experimenting with it too much so that might be something worth looking at in terms of general inspiration actually one that i i remember when i first started playing was this guy was working as a steel cutter and he used to use like all the slag and burn off from the plasma cutters on his bases. So you'd have the, this like burned bubbled up steel coming up off of his models, you know, and it, it looked so cool. I think I have, he gave me some and I think I still have it in a box somewhere. I should dig it up and see how that would look. But I remember that was the first time I saw a based model and thought that's really cool. Like, that okay i get why people base now because that looks sick so that was always the the thing that left an impression in my mind so you you don't meet a lot of nerds working in like kind of that that industrial setting but the few that you do meet have like some really wild imaginations because i'm i i'm not a welder per se but i did i did i do kind of work in uh, so my, my job is actually manufacturing acrylic and we do uh like kind of a pearlescent color and I was trying to, uh, I'll cast like pearl rod basically. And I was trying to slice off very thin layers of rod one time so that I could make like tiles, but it is so much work working with that acrylic, but the, you know, the, the using the slag for, uh, kind of like a burned out effect is a really good idea. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, it was, it was a really neat effect, but that would be something I would tell anybody is if you, if you're having difficulty with basing, just try to find a material that you wouldn't think to use and see what's out there. Cause you know, if you're just going standard dirt and sand and flock and you just feel like it's not enough, there's plenty of other materials you can use. So you just got to get creative with it. Yeah, that's that's really cool. For me, what I want to do is I want to start working in some models onto the base. Like I want to make the, the base as much of a project as the model itself and, and then maybe do maybe try pinning my models to my bases as well. 
Uh, that way I can build an entire nice base and then work the model in there, um, which is something I don't really do now. One of the things I've always kind of wanted to do is, you know, I, I toyed around with the idea for my Legio Astorum of buying a Reaver Titan and just building kind of the upper torso and just having my Warlord stomping on it. In my mind, it looks really cool, but in my wallet, I can't justify it buying an entire Reaver Titan for scenery. I, I always joke with uh, with folks that when I went to Warhammer World, there's a there's a table there with a full-size actual Warlord Titan from Forge World that's crashed into the table. And that's basically all the scenery on the table. But I've always wanted to be on that level of money where I can buy a Warlord to use as scenery. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Don't, don't think I'll be there anytime soon, but... Uh, it would be nice. Anyway, um, I, th- I think that pretty well wraps us up here for Fulgrim's Quest. Good conversation about basing. Listeners, if you, you guys have some cool basing stuff or anything at all, tweet it at us. Stuff, you know, we'd love to see it. We always, we spend a way too much time on the internet looking at tiny plastic men already. So why don't you just fuel that habit for us? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hit us up. Let's, uh, let's take a short break here and then we can jump into the GW intern hour and start talking talking about models hitting the table. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that break as much as we did. We wanted to jump into uh, a kind of special extended GW intern hour here, which is actually going to be hopefully about an hour. This past week uh, was was spring break in my household. And uh, for anyone who who's in kind of the education field, we uh, we hosted a guest. It was a terrible house guest. It was uh, my co-host Warwick. And uh, we had a great Oh, time. yeah. I was a terrible house guest. I made you fucking breakfast. Almost every day. A lot. It was, it was delightful. <laughs> but no, uh, we, uh, you came down and visited me for, for about a week, and we rolled a ton of dice. I, I think grand total, we played, I think we played eight or nine games of Heresy and four or five of Titanicus. Uh, we played a ton, um, as well as uh, Paul. You were able to make it over for a game. Uh, you also cooked for me because that's that's what I do. If I come to my if you come to my house, you better be cooking. So <laughs> I'm not going to feed you dinner. You're going to come over and you're going to feed me because I'm a terrible host. But uh, no, fun. yeah, we had a great time. Uh, played a ton of games, but uh, I'd like the two of you guys to lead off with with your game. Uh, that was Sons of Horus versus Ultramarines. So uh, why don't you you set the stage here. Give us an idea. What was the mission, points, values, and your army compositions? Yeah, so 3,000 points. I actually don't remember which. It was the mission where the objectives are worth random points at the end of the game. I can't remember. Right, yeah. So there were... I think like, five points across the board, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the game, you you figure out what each what each point is worth. And aren't some of them duds? Like, they're not worth anything? Yeah. It can be anywhere from, like, zero to three points per right. 
I think it's called like War and Lies or something like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, that didn't come into play because, <laughs> as I found out, the Sons of Horus don't fuck around. <laughs> now, I um, I felt like I had a pretty okay list, but I just could not. I, I could not handle your return fire most of the time because you, you had some really advantageous return fires as well as your death dealers is that your advanced reaction yeah that is badass that saves my bacon in that yeah so i got i should have i was probably playing a little too aggressively i should have been uh holding ground for a turn or two and not just rushing in to get mauled by your dreadnoughts and your veterans but lesson learned um i wish we had had time for another game but it was getting pretty late that day and uh, you were busy the rest of the week, so it was definitely fun. I know I probably wasn't running enough infantry, and gosh, I, I don't want to say I had too many points tied up in Dreadnoughts because they're so valuable in the game. I think I was probably running two Contemptors and a Leviathan that game, I believe, and you had... Or no, I had two and two. Two Leviathans and two. I right. was running three Contemptors and two Leviathans. Yeah, it was right. kind of funny. I was expecting vehicles, and I showed up, and I was like, oh... Dreadnought Mirror Match. This is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty good game. Uh, those Volkite Culverins you run scare the piss out of me. They they did okay that match. I wish they had done better. Um, there was a game against Brandon where I don't feel like they paid for themselves. But other they're they're fun to run. Don't get me wrong. And they're 50 points cheaper than a Lascan unit. And you get way more fire. So I, I still feel like they're worth it. Pairing them up with like a Master of Signal or an Armistice is a good idea. But in, in our game, I, I feel like they did, did okay. There were a couple other games where they didn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, in our game, it was... They just got tied up with Abbott on the squad, which, you know, we, we knew how that was going to end. They did still wipe his entire retinue in Overwatch before he could get in. Though. Yeah, the Overwatch was... solo that squad for like... The Overwatch years. was brutal i just wish that they had had messed up abaddon a little more yeah and he's such a monster once he once he got in on him there's no saving him. of yeah. course i i di- disordered your deep strike assault mm-hmm. and i got way too cocky when i did that because i got a place uh one of your other units and i put them way too close and yeah. i because I, I was for whatever reason i thought that i could get them to scatter off the board well it doesn't really work like that so i perhaps grew balls too close to the sun and it just didn't work out in my favor yeah i mean i was looking at it i was like you can put these anywhere wholly within 24 of the first unit and you put it like 12 inches away from your squad and i was like well i'm not gonna say no to that it it was late i had been drinking i'm just (laughs) gonna sit here and make excuses for why i did that there's no rhyme or reason to it i'm just a big dummy so what was the overall outcome of the game? And then what was each of you guys' MVPs? Uh, what, we called it at the bottom of turn three, I think. I believe so, because at that point I didn't time. I didn't have anything that could come back from that. And I had I had moved pretty aggressively to take objectives. And you were able to just control the battlefield better than I was. So it didn't matter what objectives I took, because as soon as I got to one you shot me right off of it, which was a a really good play on your part. I just trading fire pretty well. I think when we called it, you were actually up by one victory point on kills. 
The problem was with three turns left and what we had on the table, I was going to table you. Yeah, exactly. Because I think I had uh, a partial assault squad left, which the the Terminators, I had to stay there to hold that objective. The problem was the Terminators were going to run them down. And if I ran them around the battle board as a survival maneuver, then I would have lost all the VP. So I mean, what's the point? So I think um, I had that left. I don't know if I had, I might've had a land raider left. I don't remember at that point. No, I had popped the Spartan. Okay. I think what you had left was you had, I'd say seven Cataphracty and Remus. You had a partial tax squad and you had the assault Marines. You had a few other things. And then I had Abaddon, five Justerin, two or three Contemptors and a Leviathan left. And the 10 man Laz Cannon squad. Yeah. That's why I wanted to call it because I didn't have anything that could deal with the, your Laz Cannon squad was on the other end of the board and your dreadnoughts were going to be able to fan out and control, you know, that the other, that one half of the board, well, the Justerin were, were going to just steamroll anything that they came across. So mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't really see the point in playing that one out and it was a well-played game on, on your part. And I had a lot Pretty of fun. Close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really did come down. I think I remember at the bottom of turn two, we were talking about it. And I was like, okay, you have me on kill points. You have me on objectives. And I don't have anything left with line. I have to table you. But I have four turns to do it because it goes to turn six with this scenario. So I was like, that's what's going to have to happen. So let's do it. With the banner, were the cataphracty... Were they able to score because Remus uh, is in there with the banner? Line. Right. Uh, yeah, so your cataphracty were line. And then I, I had the, the assault squad left. I don't think I had any other troops, so I think you wiped both my tactical squads. You you had the other tactical squad that was next to the cataphracty, but they were fighting a contemptor. Oh, so. right, yeah. They weren't going to last anyway. So, yeah, it was a pretty brutal match. Uh, the five dreadnoughts was just really... I, I made some tactical errors with my Dreadnoughts. I split up my Leviathans uh, when I should have had them working in tandem to take out hard targets. But for whatever reason, I didn't do that. And then you're, you're, uh, you had two or three Contemptors come in on one of my Leviathans, and that was just the end of the show there. Yeah. And the I think the other one went down against your Leviathans either shooting. I don't even know if it made it to the charge phase. No, it made it to... Con- well, remember, it was... Because that was the conversation between Brutal 3 versus Armor Bane. Right. So you were right. running the Siege Drill, I was running the Siege Claw. Yeah. Um, yeah, Brutal 3, I think I did nine wounds in a single combat round. And you got Armor Bane, which would have been great against tanks, but against Dreadnoughts, you were doing... I don't see the point in putting the Siege Drill on a Leviathan, because the Leviathan is going to kill a vehicle in the shooting phase before it makes it to the charge. You're much more likely to have that Leviathan in on a unit or uh, in on another Dreadnought, realistically. That's the experience I've had. Yeah, it kind of just depends on the loadout and what you're fighting. If you're fighting a a very vehicle-centric meta, which considering how many tanks they've put out is very possible, you could see some play. Um, I think it was just a incredibly bad match for you because you're taking a lot of anti-vehicle weapons and I was running dreadnoughts and infantry. So that was just kind of a bad matchup there, but I didn't have enough stopping power to deal with five dreadnoughts. So I mean, that's, that's on me. Yeah. I think, I think how it went out, basically there were three sections of fighting 
the one section was assault marines and culverins versus Justerin. The center was my two leviathans versus your leviathan and two contemptors. And then the far side was just a huge mess of like 10. I think at one point we had 10 different units in this massive interconnected melee because everyone was just countercharging each other. <laughs> I had my cataphractes basically daisy chained uh, between several other combats because they got charged from opposite ends by your contemptors. So <laughs> well, yeah. I was just like, well, they're not going to be able to stack up on anything. But I think the context for that was, so there was like two tax squads, one for each of us in the center fighting each other. So he jumped out, he jumped his contemptors out and kind of daisy chained them around the unit. Or yeah, cataphracty. Uh, Daisy chained him around the unit so he could get this massive charge off. So now he has the C ring around this combat. So to kind of lock him in place, I put a contemptor on either side of the Daisy chain and charge the end so he couldn't consolidate all of his models into combat without breaking coherency. So the tactical guys died, and then what you ended up with was two contemptors stringing out this line of cataphracty. Which I found out the Sons of Horus Legion trait is absolutely nasty in combat. Knocking Lightning Claw Marines down to strength three is just brutal. Hindering them, even with a reroll, like making it harder for them to wound. And Brandon did did something similar. He used the Biomancy from a Librarian to up mm-hmm. his toughness. Yeah. And the, the Cataphracty just weren't able to... Like against regular infantry they're great they've they've won they've really paid for themselves in the past but going up against a hard target even with that reroll and ren six it's just it's so hard like they've got a a minimal chance to wound a dreadnought but i don't think even with the full squad they're going to kill one so yeah i mean full strength you would have been wounding on fives rending on sixes a lot of attacks but Knocking you down to strength three, it was you sixes or nothing. And even then it was our weapons are useless. It was just rending, auto-wounding was the only reason you could even do anything. But no, it was a super fun game. I, yeah. I learned a lot in that one that I tried to apply to my next few games, but we kind of see how that went. All right. Well, should we talk about some of our games then? I lost. Uh, yeah, sure, whatever. I won. I won one game against you, and it was some of the saltiest I'd ever seen you. Yeah, well, I mean that one game that you did win against me, you just rolled up and shit rocked me. And that was a pretty brutal game. Um, and then I was running. Uh, I was running the Storm of War, Ride of War, and uh, you know, so I had the big blocks of tacticals. I brought a Land Raider and a Kratos. And a couple of contemptors, along with my inner circle knights, you kind of let off in that one, popped my land raider turn one, pinned my praetor with his deathwing companions, took my terminators down to a man. Then in my turn, when I answered, I did nothing. I, I think I put two whole points on the Spartan with a Kratos. That was about it. And you hopped 10 Tartaros terminators with thunder hammers out and looked at my tactical squad, said, I'm coming for you, popped my Kratos with your Leviathan, and I was like, this is over. Like, we're just done here. So that was, that was uh, Paul, in some of our games where I've beaten you by the top of turn two, 
I I know what that's like. <laughs> well, I found out that I really like the Invictara Scissorane as an honor guard better than the Cataphracti Terminators. The Invictaris are mean. My only beef with them is I would like to find a way to up their initiative, which I don't I don't know that you can. But putting a librarian with them and up in their uh, toughness too is is not a bad strategy. They're they're already difficult to wound, but up in that toughness by one really really changes the game up. Yeah, I, I definitely think I think your Suzerain were a lot better as a retinue. And the main reason I think for that is uh, weapon skill five. Uh, I think that Terminator squad that you were running of all those cataphractic with the lightning claws, they were mean. But when you were going into my big tough units and I was like, all right, well, now you're hitting me on fives because I'm weapon skill five and you're weapon skill four. And that just, I, that made all the difference, really. Yeah, they're much more suited to taking on tacticals or something. Yeah, especially with with the Deathwing Dark Angels, which, I you know, I had a bunch of power swords and the like and tyrannic great swords. And since you were weapon skill four, I get plus one to hit with swords. I was hitting you on twos and you were hitting me on fives. Like, it was just such a mismatch. And I didn't really realize it until we actually fought it out of how much of a mismatch it was. But uh, I think you adapted pretty well. The Suzerain definitely helped. They didn't fare so well in the first game, but I definitely think there's gas in that tank, that's for sure. We had a lot of fun games. Uh, Big highlights for me of our non-Primark games was our big duel between Remus and Marduk Cedrus. That was a tough one. That was where I could tell I thought you were going to throw your Volkites across the room. Because they did about two yeah, wounds they didn't to my do Terminators. shit that game. I rolled like garbage, and yeah, it, it it wasn't super fun for me that round. But I I did do some other fun stuff in that. I think the the turn before that, they basically rocked an entire squad of your interemptors. Inter- I think so. Getting those interemptors off the board is a big priority. I've been cornholed by them one too many times, so. They're, uh, they're not fun to deal with, <clears throat> but the, I don't know, um, a couple highlights for me are just like getting off a really good, um, unity of purpose. So having two units that can return fire, uh, is a reaction is just brutal. I, um, against our friend Martin Emery, he shot me with his, uh, Imperial or I guess his traitor knight. And I returned fire with a Leviathan dreadnought and popped it in one with the uh, Cyclonic Meltalance, and Martin was just like, oh, well, I knew it was fragile. I was like, are you serious? It's got less wounds than a Leviathan. So that was kind of fun. Anyway, uh, yeah, just getting getting some really good reactions are kind of the, the highlights for me. So I had a couple of really nice uh, return fires that, that really helped me out in the long run. Yeah, your unity of purpose is a very strong reaction. And I was definitely getting the jealousy vibes because the Dark Angels one is damn near pointless. I think I can count on one hand. Actually, I can count on one hand. I used it once, found out that it was worthless, and then I've never used it again. But that unity of purpose, man, the fact that it's anything on the board, it just lays the hurt down on you. And it made me really think about every single time I was trying to make a shot. I was like, is this something I want? to do because i'm potentially going to take a lot of hate back for for that especially with those 10 full kites i mean it i think i think most of our games went to like four hours and half of that was rolling volkite shots 
because there was so many. Yeah, if there's a armistice with them, that is, uh, what is that, 55 shots, because there's uh, 10 guys, five shots apiece. And, you know, if you're shooting a 20-man tactical squad, that's 20 bolters coming back at you. And if they're rapid firing, that's 40 shots, plus the 55 from the Volkites. And they're winning on twos on most stuff. So the, the sheer weight of fire you're getting from 10 guys is really impressive. So I, I recommend them. They didn't always work for me, but I had a lot of fun with them. I know, you know, Martin had his way with them in, in our game, but they they also got some some kicks in. So, yep, definitely look into those full kite culverins, guys. They're they're a lot of fun. Yeah, I think in our game they were averaging roughly anywhere from twenty five to like thirty five wounds per shooting. Um, I think that one round where they wiped most of the Jesteran, it was like, okay, it's the shooting phase. I'm going to return fire. Here's 30 wounds. Oh, you're charging me. Here's an overwatch for 30 wounds. And it was like, man, so much dice flying at me. Yeah, I think Abaddon got in with like two wounds left. And I was like... Yeah, and his squad was just gone. He was like, oh, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> it is a long shot. But on the off chance that I kill Abaddon with a heavy support squad, I will laugh all the way to the grave. It didn't happen. It would have yeah, been hilarious. It was close, but it didn't though. Happen. I was sitting there. I was sweating a bit because you were putting a lot of wounds on him. I mean, I was like, all I have to do is roll one, you know, a one, and I'm screwed. Maybe I should have called a challenge with my Master of Signal because he might have bought me a turn with his invulnerable yeah. save. But Abaddon's just dishing out so many wounds. You well, know, what, what's his, what strength is his... He's straight uh, eight. Yeah, so he's, so yeah, he. I think he was. Seven. Yeah, he was hitting me on twos. I think, and he was wounding me on twos. And I had one five up invulnerable save between him and a wiped squad. Yeah. Well, so the big thing about it, um, you had three. Well, you had two characters and a sergeant in there. So you called with the Armistos. The the big thing is not only is Abaddon high weapon skill high strength he has a lot of attacks i think it's like six attacks base or like five but he's dual wielding and he wastes all of his extra attacks if he's in a challenge because they don't spill over into the squad that's what killed you is that second round you didn't issue a challenge and i hit the squad so instead of killing one character you know overkilled i ended up wiping like six guys which was six more attacks you could have put on abaddon so I think it should have been, you should have issued a challenge all three rounds. And then while he's wasting his extra attacks, killing one guy at a time, the other guys are dogpiling him and trying to put as many wounds on him to make him roll that one. But Yeah, that, that was another important lesson learned for me. I just, I, I had it in my head that like the radio guy is not going to call a challenge. When it's like, <laughs> he's still a console, he should have done it. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, yeah. lesson learned. Throw himself under that bus. So I just I realized I was making a list yesterday. You can give the master of signal a stalker pattern bolter. Yeah. So uh, maybe that's that's ten points, but you you kind of don't want him to shoot because he can give that the squad he's attached to a, a bonus. Yeah, uh, the cognis signum says you can't shoot with him if you use it. So it's kind of like ten points for a weapon he's never going to fire. Right. Exactly. I'd be more inclined to toss a power weapon on him 
Thor, just in the event that you get charged, maybe he can do a little bit of damage before I'd be throwing gun on him. It's like uh, it's like my librarian that I run with the biomancy all the time. I'll regularly be like, oh, I've got two points left in a list. Why don't I just throw a Volkite Charger on my librarian? But the biomancy is instead of a shooting attack. So I'm like, well, I'm never going to use that. So unless I'm overwatching potentially. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's a good it's a good unit we also did uh some primark fighting which was works shaking the, the lion no. is amazing he is so good because he's got a higher initiative than well like gilman's i think initiative uh six and lion's initiative seven so basically if gilman doesn't survive that first round of combat he's not getting hits in so we we did like some dueling, we got some fighting in, and it uh, it was pretty one sided. At one point in one of our games, the lion called a multi charge on two of my leviathan dreadnoughts and killed both of them in the same combat phase. So he is a fucking monster, folks. If you see him on the board, just run away, avoid combat at all all costs. Just try to try to shoot him and whittle him down, but. You know, he's coming for you. I will say the lion is a bit of a special case when it comes to the Primarchs. The fact that he was able to stand toe-to-toe with Horus Ascended for, I think it was like two or three rounds of combat before he finally went down. And I mean, that's a thousand-point model. Took three rounds to kill the lion. It, it, It says a lot about his combat potential. But, you know, the Gilliman versus lion fight. Gilliman's a support character. What you're getting out of him is the utility he brings to the army, not his particular individual combat prowess. Right, and and to be clear, I don't feel like Gilliman is a duelist. He adds so much more to the army in other places. Yeah, he just didn't have the durability for it. Yeah, and I think that's one thing we really discovered kind of in our, both in our Primarch fights and then in the games that we didn't bring Primarchs. Um, you know, when I ran Marduk against Remus, we ended up getting into a duel there, and we we realized that Remus is really not a fighter either. You know, I was running my Inner Circle Knights, and you were running Remus with his Suzerain, and we got into that fight, and I said, okay, well, I'm going to challenge with my Knight Preceptor, uh, which is like the Sergeant character for the Inner Circle Knights. He's weapon skill 6, which granted, for a regular unit dude, is high. I mean, that's that's really good. But we, we get into this challenge that you accepted with Remus, and you're like, all right, I'm weapon skill five. And I was like, what? Really? Like, it was just very surprising. It, it ended up, so that obviously ended up going my way. And what we kind of figured out with Gilliman is Gilliman brings so much to the table for Ultramarines. Like, you know, you were running the Logos with that game that we played with the Primarchs where I killed those two Leviathans, which was really fun. <laughs> Actually... Honestly, I think my favorite part of that game was not the killing the two Leviathan Dreadnoughts. It's when I swung my Leviathan out from behind that building and you were like, oh shit, I didn't even realize that was there. <laughs> yeah, it was it was hiding from me the entire game and I was like, fuck, now I have to deal with that. And Lion, Lion is making a beeline down the center of the board and I was like, this is going to turn into such a fucking mess. <laughs> Yeah, the lion was coming down the board, and he was like, Rabute, I'm coming to kill you! <laughs> In your house! On McCrag! Anyway, 
the thing that we figured out, you know, it, you you had said, okay, I'm going to run Retribution Strike. Also, I'm going to give the entire army Furious Charge because Gilliman's on the table. Which I was like, that's a hell oh yeah, of a it's a lot of fun right when there. you pull that one off. You know, we kind of looked at it and I was like, yeah, Gilliman's not as good a fighter as the lion, but the lion realistically doesn't bring a lot to my army. He can kill everything on the board, but he can't be everywhere. It was interesting to see kind of the different dynamics of our different. I, I think I did how. get a unity of purpose off on him when his uh, when he fired into that squad that he charged the the leviathans that he charged. So I think I hit him with some return fire and did a couple of wounds. But you know, even then, hitting him with some heavy ordnance didn't really didn't whittle him down enough. Well, and you actually helped me in that situation because since I was doing a disordered charge, I didn't get my bonus attack for charging. But as the lion takes wounds, he gains attacks. So you plink two wounds off of him, and it was like I got my bonus attack for charging anyway. And that's it, it took all four of each of my, you know, I had split my attacks four and four because that's eight attacks on the lion, which is ridiculous. It took all four on each side to, to end up putting those leviathans down. He ended up taking some Deathwing companions with him as well, which... I will say, um, and and this can kind of go off into a tangent here, I'm having a bit of buyer's remorse on the Deathwing Companions because uh, I built three of them with the shields and just only having two guys fight, it's just not enough. But that shield is so good. It's so helpful. Yeah, I mean, it was like we were talking about after that game. You need to run a squad of 10, so you'd have the... the well, and it. I looked into it. When I'm running the Primarch, I cannot run 10. It, it would just go over the threshold of points. I think the most I can get is are seven. Are they a retinue-only squad? Or? They are a retinue-only. Yeah. So I just, just looked at it. The Lion is 460 points, and he can basically solo anything on the board, save maybe some of the other Primarchs. Gilliman is 465 points, and while he's not as uh, fighty or as durable as other Primarchs, he is... His bonuses affect the entire army, not just infantry, whereas the Logos Locatora only affects infantry. So giving Furious Charge or uh, what are the other ones? Just b being able to stack these little bonuses on the rest of the army is amazing. So, you know, for five five more points than a lot of the other, uh, than some of the other Primarchs, Gilliman is well worth it. He's He's kind of kind of more of a support character, but he'll he'll straight up thrash you know a lot of other units. I I wouldn't hesitate to throw him in on a dreadnought or two. So uh, just maybe watch out for those uh, those dang primarchs, I guess. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think anything short of a primarch, he can pretty well rinse. Yeah, I I I'd, I'd take that fight. I take Gilliman in that fight. Maybe maybe Abaddon could last around or two maybe Corswain. we actually maybe we should have done that duel we should have done Corswain against gilliman i i mean he's he's certainly Gil not did fairly well against i know i had a duel with elfarius uh when i was playing maniple a while back he did fairly well against elfarius other than that you know it's I, I and again it comes down to some dice rolls i did not didn't i was not always rolling very well so um i don't know maybe next time we're together we'll we'll try a few other things out but yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of it at the time, but we should have done a Horus Gilliman duel <laughs> just to see. 
I don't know if Abaddon would hold out What's, against uh, Gilliman's weapon skill. Uh, he is weapon skill seven. So they're hitting each other on fours. Mm-hmm. But if um, see, I don't know because I'd I'd have trouble picking what weapon to use because if I use the hand of Dominion, I'm brutal too. What's the strength? Strength ten. Okay, so you're not instant deathing Abaddon because he has. Oh really? Hardened. Yeah. Oh okay. So well then I wouldn't wouldn't he still be instant deathing because you go up to five. toughness oh, five, you don't you? Ten. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it, on the round of the charge, no, because you'd also oh no, because Primarchs aren't modified by the Legion trait. I was thinking uh, Merciless Fighters would put him to strength nine, but that doesn't do that for Primarchs. So yeah, no, you mm-hmm. would instant death Abaddon. Um, and what kind of what effect would Murderous Strike have on Abaddon? Uh, Murder Strikes instant death. Merciless Fighters is the Legion trait. It's mm-hmm. minus one strength on the successful charge. Yeah, Abaddon is the one kind of gripe for Abaddon is that he doesn't yeah. have Eternal Warrior, which he yeah, should. I mean, it's Sigismund's the only one. Well, that and the Custodes. But... Yeah, well, Sigismund is a fucking <laughs> douche. So. Paul, we can't bring up Imperial Fists on the podcast. Brandon will freak out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see that fight. I, I still think that Gilliman would win, but I think Abaddon or Corswain could potentially give him a run for his money yeah well i don't know abaddon the, the other problem with abaddon is he's initiative one with that claw so yeah you would probably just hand him to me well hand him to dominion does that have unwieldy yes it does uh, but so if i use the if i use the gladius and candor i'm yeah. plus one strength and uh murderous strike on a five up yeah. so would, is he affected by murderous strike yeah okay interesting yeah so yeah i mean mm-hmm. it, it would probably it's it's a lot like when we did abaddon versus course wayne it's can you instant death me before i get my chance to hit you yeah and that's kind of the thing with course wayne since he's got duelist edge two he'd actually be hitting before gilliman um and that would kind of be the one if he could i mean i don't think course wayne could actually kill gilliman in one round of combat but he could put quite a few wounds on him um and then potentially he could survive he does have a three up invulnerable save in close combat course wayne's kind of a chad but i kind of want to i want to circle back to this a bit um you know we got a week of games in paul you only got the one game um unfortunately just you know because we all have bills to pay but uh after playing all these games do you guys have any like buyer's remorse on on things that you brought one of the things that you know comes to mind for me is that I built all my tactical squads. Uh, I built the sergeants with power swords. Because, uh, you know, thinking Dark Angels, power swords. Well, I don't run my tactical squads as Deathwing. And power swords kind of suck. You know, in a realm where sergeants can take artificer armor, a power sword, unless you roll a six, is kind of useless. So, you know, I kind of wish that I had built them with maybe like a power fist, honestly. Or maybe a lightning claw. In, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I built them with, uh, I built one of my sergeants with a power sword when I should have given him the power claw or a power fist because it it 10, what is it? Um, is it 15 points for a power fist? 
Yeah, it's 15 for a fist. Right, so you and I were talking claw. about it. Um, the Lightning Claw, if you're going against it, if you think you're going to be fighting infantry, take the Power Claw because you're rerolling wounds. If you think that you're going to be dealing with like a Dreadnought or a vehicle, take the Power Fist instead of the Melt-A-Bombs uh, because uh, you're getting more attacks and you're hitting at Initiative 1 anyway, so just take the Power Fist. Yeah, I got a, I got a hard agree. I've actually got five Mark VI Marines sitting in my closet unbuilt that I hadn't decided what I wanted to do with them yet. And I honestly might just rebuild them as sergeants uh, with power fists so that I can just swap that out and make that change. Uh, but I haven't decided that yet. Uh, Paul, what about you? Is there anything like you built your models with that you're like, man, I wish I hadn't done that? No, not really. Um, well, we both... I, because I think we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but outside of the podcast, I know Brandon knows in particular that I very carefully plan um, a lot of the lists that I bought for this one uh, compared to a lot of older armies. Um, so there's not a whole lot of overbuy for me. I think the other big thing that kind of saved me is the first 40 uh, Marines, the ones that I got out of the starter box, I built very basic with just bolters on them. And I've kind of been using them as test batch models. So it's been a lot of like, oh, they're veterans today. They're Reavers tomorrow. They're tactical Marines today. And I've been able to use them to kind of cheat the lists a bit with proxy until I could figure out what exactly I wanted. I think the only thing that I really bought that I haven't used or haven't really looked at in a while is I bought 10 of the Forge World Sons of Horus Reaver models, um, mostly because when I went to the Citadel, it was all they had, and I had the money, and I was like, you know what, let's buy them, let's see what they look like, and I haven't even touched them. <laughs> um, I know they'll get some use eventually. I'm thinking, because I have Loken as well because he comes with abaddon you know i'm thinking i might try to find some breacher shields and make them into chieftains and do a little loyalist chieftains party with uh with loken but i don't know we'll see what that happens awesome yeah that'd be kind of cool to see like maybe some luna wolves paint them in the old armor scheme something like that that'd be pretty cool let's uh let's talk about the other game that we played a bunch of uh which was adeptus titanicus I think we played about four or five different games of Titanicus. You played your Legio Lanascara uh, because you've been putting them together. And I played my tried and true Murder Lords. And let me tell you, they lived up to their namesake in our games. Um, I think you, you kind of struggled to to figure out that Lanascara list. I think it's going to be mean when you finally do get it all, all ironed out. But... Uh, why don't you, you run us through kind of what, what your thoughts were there and your mana pool and what you were running? Right, so I built a Ruptura mana pool, which is two Warbringers and three Reavers. And I built my Reavers with... Uh, each one has a Vulcan Mega Bolter on the Carapace, and then I've got a Power Fist and a Chain Fist on each one. The theory being, because Lanascara is very fast and they can, they can run a lot of stuff for free, and the, the Raptura Manable gives you a free run too, I think. And then you can use some uh, corruption, Corrupted Titans to give them like Creator Natural Great Grace that'll let them run for free. And then if the uh, Warbringers do a catastrophic damage, each Reaver can advance for free. So you're basically clearing the battlefield on turn one, in theory. Now, I didn't 
I whiffed all of my armor rolls in every game that we played with the Warbringers. So I'm a little sour on them. Uh, I think they're really cool. I think they have play, but if you fire that big gun and you whiff your hit roll or your armor roll, you feel like they're fucking useless because they only get one shot per turn. Other than that, you know, the you just keep your, your Warbringers in the back 40 just laying down fire. Meanwhile, the Reavers run up and just make a mess of anything in front of them. And I only got one charge off. Uh, I think the whole... No, it wasn't even... Yeah, it was a charge. Um, the, the couple of games that we played, I only got one charge off with one Reaver. And I think he whiffed his hit or his armor roll with his power fist. So I, I was unable to kill one Warhound in the first round. And Lannisgara also has a, a nice rule where if you perform a charge order, you can do a smash attack in addition to your melee weapon attack. So you can potentially get a smash, a chain fist, and a power fist in on the same target. And the, the chain fist has a high probability of destroying the target. And if that doesn't do it, the power fist can really wreck some stuff too. So I just got really unlucky with some of my dice rolls. I, I'm still, I need to get the supplement so I can, I know what all the uh, corruptions do or the mutations, whatever. Uh, there's a kind of a learning curve there for me. I just need more practice at it. Maybe I'll be able to find somebody around here who can play, but I, I need to look for a game so I can get more practice in. Yeah, I could definitely tell, like, you know, you were running up to get into melee with me the the entire time we were playing. And you, there there was just an experience gap there, I think, because playing Murder Lords, like, being up in your grill is what I do with my Legio. So we were just, you know, you had kind of entered my playground uh, there, and it was a bit rough. Um, one of the things that, like, I think just came from experience is you were calling shots to the head with the mentality of the track is shorter, but the armor's higher on the head. And that's where a lot of the whiffed uh, armor rolls came from. So, you know, lessons learned there. Also, we really just cannot understate the coordinated strike from a squadron of warhounds. Man, they, I mean, they just give the business when that happens. As well as, um, and we can talk about this a little bit. Um, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but I think knights are a bit problematic in Titanicus. Because they're pretty strong. They're surprisingly strong for what they do. And they just ignore a lot of the rules that kind of make Titans manageable. And, you know, I use Knights. I bring them basically every game. Uh, but I really, I just don't, I, I don't feel good about it. I think my Knights have more engine kills than any of my actual Titans do. It, it just feels kind of gross, honestly, when I when I do that. I, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like that's... It It kind of breaks my immersion, in a sense, of... I don't feel like these knights should be the ones that are really running around killing the titans while they just kind of slap each other with pool noodles. I don't know. It's it's something I've been thinking about a lot and trying to, to figure out how I want to approach knights when I play in games in the future. Yeah, I was telling... there There was another guy down in Dallas that I played against. I was telling him... Every game I've played that included knights, they have done catastrophic damage to me in one round every single time. I'll get shots in on them, I'll smash them back, and I just... For for it, the damage output of a banner of knights versus a single titan, 
a Titan cannot one shot a Banner of Knights. A Banner of Knights can one shot a Titan. Yeah. One thing I've heard um, some people say, I, I can't remember where, I think it might have been another podcast, but they were like, yeah, playing Knights, especially the Knight Households, is a lot like playing 40K in Titanicus because they don't have a lot of the facing and movement restrictions. And I think a lot of that sort of uh, like damage output just comes to the fact that melee in Titanicus is really powerful. It's just that knights have the movement shenanigans to get into melee. Most of the other titans struggle a little bit. Because, um, I mean, we've had that with... Uh, me and Brandon's games, his Reavers, if they get into combat with my Warlords, like, I'm dead that turn. I mean, it's the same thing. It's just melee is really powerful. Um, and Knights just have the speed to get there. It's so hard to um, justify dedicating one of your Titans to a banner of Knights, because if you are ignoring the in other enemy Titans on the battlefield, that's that can be just as deadly. So it's, it, it's really difficult to know... Uh, where to, you know, where to kind of split fire or where to, um, you know, when to concentrate on the knights or not, when, like, clearly you just need to go for them because if you don't, they're going to corner you. And they are surprisingly durable. Like, I feel like they're a little too durable for what they do. Um, you know, the Serastus knights, for example, take a direct hit on a nine, which means that your Vulcan Megavolter, which I feel like a Vulcan Megavolter should really put a hammering on a knight. I mean, this is just a giant machine gun on a titan but it's only it's only direct it's direct hitting it can only direct hit on, on a serastus knight and they're gonna get an ion shield save and if you roll below a five you're screwed anyway you didn't do anything so um serastus knights honestly are are some of the the least bad offenders in the knight category in my opinion the Mechanicum Knights have like a three up save. They direct hit on like a 10 or 11 and they can repair themselves as well. So, I mean, th those things are nasty good as well as they can take like concussive weapons. So they're turning your Titans from a Knight. So knight Knights are weird for me. I I've been doing a lot of thinking around this because I'm working some things for Titanicus kind of in the background that I'm not quite ready to share out on the airwaves yet. Knights have been kind of at the forefront of my thought in, in regards of Titanicus and how, for me, both using them and going against them sucks the fun out of the game for me. And I'm talking, I mean, we have fun with Titanicus. You want, we want, you want to talk about my Warlord that I sent 18 inches across the board in one turn to smash a Warbringer? That was fun. And it felt, it, it didn't feel like I was gaming you too hard to like suck the fun out of it. That was a once per game, one shot. Here's my mutated Titan in your face to shove a power claw through your chest, which was a lot of fun. And oh, and let's let's be clear real quick. Did not one shot that war ring. Yeah. And at that point, I was going to call it because I was like, well, I'm not going to stand here and keep getting slapped. So and all I had left was the two war bringers. So. I, I didn't think I was, or no, uh, I only had the one left at that point, but one of them was damaged really bad, and the other one might have been full. I don't remember, but you uh, you had you had that war you had that war you had both warbringers left, but the knights were closing in on the other warbringer, and I was in your side arc, so you weren't going to be able to shoot me anyway with that. So I mean, I had you. 
it was it was a good time to call it. There's no no resentment there at all. But poor, more so, the point I was making was I shot that. I mean, I I dumped all five stratagem points that I had into shooting that warlord across the board, and it did not one shot a warbringer. If I had thrown a charge order on knights and had range, they have a much better chance of doing it. And it's 170 points. So, yeah, knights are, are, are weird for me. But I think we've ranted about knights for long enough. Yeah, I, that's, uh, as far as Titanicus goes, that's my, my only gripe. The entire game, I think knights are maybe a little poorly balanced. Other than that, it's an amazing game and I highly recommend Paul, you got anything else to add to this yeah, conversation? not really. I missed out on the AT stuff. Um, initially, the plan was for me to bring it up and get at least a game in, but it didn't really happen. To be honest, it's it's been a while since I've played. I would have needed a few days to go over the rules again because I barely even remember how to play. Oh, we spent a lot of time just digging into the rule book, which led to some gripes about how the rule book is laid out really felt reminiscent of the heresy rule book. So some, some apples don't fall far from the tree, I guess. I think, uh, I think that pretty well wraps up. It was a great game weekend. We got a lot of hobbying done too. Warwick, you painted out a good, a good bit of ultramarines and I was able to paint the lion over the course of the week, which I do want to shout out our buddy, Martin Emery. Again, he drove down from, uh, from where he was at and he got a, a couple of games in, uh, at one of the local shops, and we had a great time. It was awesome to meet him. His word bearers are freaking nasty, and I had a great time playing him. He's an awesome guy. Go check out Fires of Betrayal, folks. Um, they they just put an episode up the other day. Well, I guess by the time this is up, it'll be last week. So, you know, a week ago they put out another episode. So check them out. They're talking about power armor and kind of lore behind that. They're they're really fun to listen to. So, again, Martin Emery, he's a great guy. Awesome. Well, uh, I think we can go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, great conversation, guys. Again, it was a fun week. Lots of games played. Um, looking forward to whenever the next time we can do that is. But, uh, Work, you want to plug our socials, and then we'll uh, we'll sign off here. Yeah, look us up on Twitter, the Dumb Bird app, at LegionCast18, a Horse Heresy podcast. And I guess I'm going to try the whole Instagram thing go ahead and hit us up there, which is same thing, Legion Cast, a Horse Heresy podcast, and shoot us an email at legioncast18 at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. All right, everybody, and be sure in a couple of weeks to uh, look out for our episode, our next book episode, where we'll be doing our first anthology, Tales of Heresy. Uh, we'll be bringing the whole panel back here, and uh, it'll be kind of a different format than our usual for book episodes because it's all short stories. Uh, but be watching out for that. Uh, thanks for stopping by, everybody. Paul, always a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me back on again. Uh, I guess I'll see you in the next one. We will uh, We'll see you guys all soon, and uh, remember to march in fortune. Mm-hmm.